The following story has been brought to you by storiestoinspire.org. Several years ago, there was a young man by the name of Dovi Mandelbaum. He's walking in Jerusalem. He's heading to an apartment where there resides a rabbi. His name was Erez Mishikovsky. Erez Mishikovsky was the headmaster of a school that Dovi had attended many years before. Why was Dovi going to see his old headmaster? Well, there is a tradition in Israel and perhaps in other places that when you're about to get married, instead of mailing an invitation to the individual that inspired you most in your life, you hand deliver it. Dovi was engaged to get married. And in his mind, Rabbi Mishikowski really helped change his life and put him in the direction that he went. And therefore, he's bringing this rabbi who he hadn't seen in years an invitation to his wedding. He knocks on the door. Rabbi Mishikowski opens the door, immediately recognizes his student of years ago, and he says, to what do I owe the great honor of your visit, Dovi? And Dovi says, I'm getting married, and I came to deliver an invitation because you have had such an impact in my life. Mishikowski is very nice to see him. In fact, he was one of his earlier students of his early years of his school. Nice to see how he has grown up. Now, although it was years ago that he attended Mishikovsky's school, he always remembered him. After he went to this particular school, he ended up meeting up with different schools of Chabad. He became a Chabad student. He, in fact, was engaged to someone from a Chabad family. Rabbi Mishikovsky's school was not a Chabad school, but still, he felt that Rabbi Mishikovsky set him straight on the path that he needed to go. Rabbi Mishikovsky opens the invitation, takes a look at it, looks it over and says, wow, nice, very nice. I plan on being at the wedding. It'll be my honor to be at the wedding. This is that. I see the girl that you're marrying, the family, I see. She's from Chabad. And he says, yeah. And you, Dovi, you became Chabad too? Yeah, yeah, very nice, very nice. Tell me something. Do you know if your future mother-in-law ever visited the Lubavitch Rebbe when he gave out dollars on a Sunday? Back to the background of this is, for many years, the Lubavitch Rebbe on Sunday would stand outside his office, and anyone in the world that wanted to come see him would be able to line up, line stretch for blocks, for hours. You would have an opportunity to see the leading holy rabbi of our generation, to ask for a blessing that you needed for something in life. And in that encounter, the Rebbe would also give you a crisp dollar bill. And he would ask you to take that dollar bill and do something good with it. Give it to charity, give it to another person, so that when there's an encounter of two individuals, a third person benefits from it. That was the way the Rebbe thought. And so it was called, did you go to the Rebbe for dollars? And you would get a dollar? Now, because you got a dollar in your hand from such a holy figure, you'd want to keep it. But the Rebbe said you should give a dollar to another person. So what did you do? What was the trick? You exchanged it. You kept the dollar that the Rebbe gave you, and you gave from your own wallet. Usually you increased it. You gave a $5 bill, a $10 bill to a poor person, the next person that you saw. But this way you would collect dollar bills that the Lubavitcher Rebbe himself handed you with a blessing. And people looked at that with tremendous value. So here's Rabbi Mishikowski asking this boy that's getting married if his future mother-in-law ever got a dollar bill from the Lubavitcher Rebbe. And if so, do you know when? He says, no, I never actually asked her this question. 
But you know what? The next time I see her, I'll ask her the question. I'll come back and I'll give you the answer. Very well, very well. The next time Dovi was by his bride's house for Shabbat, he asks his future mother, tell me, did you get a dollar from the Lubavitcher Rebbe? And he sa she says, of course I did, yes. And when did you get the last time that you went? She said, I actually remember it well. It was the month of Shvat, about February time, in the year 5751, which would be about February 1991, was when she remembered getting this dollar bill. Okay, Dovi has the information. He was given a homework task from his old teacher. He comes back to the apartment at some point later, and he says, you asked me a question. The answer is yes. She did. Shvat 5751. Rabbi says, thank you very much for getting back to me. You know, I have a story to tell you that's worth a million dollars. A million dollars. But because I really like you, I'll tell it to you for $10,000. Dovi says, I, I don't have $10,000. So he says, you know what? I'll make a deal. Aside for coming to your wedding, the week after the wedding, you have parties every night, Shever Brachot. Invite me to one of those Shever Brachot parties, and I'll tell that story then for free. But trust me, it's a good story. Okay, I'll get you an invitation. Anyway, Dovi gets married. The wedding was beautiful. Rabbi Mishikovsky was out the wedding, danced with his former student of many years. Beautiful wedding, and kept his word. A Shever Brochot party a few nights later, held an outdoor area, big barbecue. They set up a microphone, and the Chatan gets up and he says, My former teacher, Rabbi Mishikowski, dean of this and this school, has a story to tell. He assures us that it's a million dollar story. Without further ado, Rabbi Mishikowski. Rabbi Mishikowski gets up to the microphone and he says this. So, this is the story within the story. Around 25 years ago, when I got married, my wife, Hani, and I had an understanding. When we were dating, we discussed what type of lives we would want. And we both agreed of what we wanted in life. We wanted simplicity. She wanted and I wanted to be able to sit and study as much as possible. And so it was agreed upon that if we were to get married, I would learn what's called kolel. That's an advanced study hall for married people. My wife would take a teaching position that would help support us, and I would sit and study. It would be a simple life, not too expensive, simple apartment. That's what we wanted, simplicity. Living in Israel, studying Torah, what could be better spiritually? So there I was. We got married. I'm studying in a kolil in the city of Netanya. The kolil that I was studying at was connected to a post-high school yeshiva program for young men. So they shared the same campus. Everything was going according to plan. Life was blissful. Life was perfect. But then as I was studying, I saw something going terribly wrong with some of the younger students in the adjacent school. Many of them were becoming disaffected. Some were luring away from the yeshiva environment. They were getting involved in all sorts of inappropriate activities. And the administration of that particular school was beside themselves what to do with these kids. And the only course of action that they could come up with was to throw these kids out of school. You don't want to be here? Don't be here. Leave. They wanted to preserve the integrity of the students that wanted to study. It's a great debate amongst educators. What's your role? What's your job? But to me, the glaring question was, so if you kick these kids out, what's going to happen to them? 
Are you thinking about their souls? Are you thinking about their lives? Are you thinking about their families? Each one of them is a precious soul. And here you're giving up on them by just kicking them out. So although, again, I'm in a different school, I'm in an advanced school for married people, we're just sharing a campus, I mixed in. I went to the principal's office. I said, I see you kicking kids out left and right. Aren't you concerned about what's going to happen to them? And at first I got the look of, who do you think you are telling us what to do? You're not a member of the staff of this school. I said, no, I'm not a member of the staff. I'm just a concerned fellow Jew, and there's got to be a better way. He said, we've tried everything with them. We've tried enticing them. We've tried inspiring them. We've tried uh, bribing them. We've done everything. We're done. We're done. We can't do it anymore. So I don't know what got into me, he says. He's telling the story at the party after the wedding, you remember? And he says, I decided, rent a little house. And I'll have these kids stay at this house. And for a few hours a day, I'll tear myself away from my own studies, and I'll teach them myself. And then maybe I'll find someone in the community that could mentor them in some type of job, perhaps. So they'll be doing some studying and some job training. So I started doing that on the side. Then I needed to pay rent. That's a problem, because I didn't have the money. So I started raising some money from some of the other families in the community. And then we picked up a few more, more students. And then it involved more of my time, more fundraising, more programming, more teaching. Truth is, he said, I didn't have a clue what I was doing. I was just a simple guy, supposed to mind my own business, but I couldn't. And I just found myself torn in two worlds, focusing on the life that Hani and I planned out, and my guilt of seeing these Jewish kids perhaps going to be lost to our people. And at some point, I realized that my own learning and my own personal life has been thrown into disarray because the time that it was taking me to do this was starting to become full-time. And as overwhelmed as I was for my dear wife, she felt, and rightfully so, I was in over my head, stressed out about having to raise the funds and keep the program going. And this is not what we agreed to. We mapped out our lives. We planned it out. We were going all to plan. What happened here? Don't get me wrong, he's telling everyone. She understood how important the work I was doing was, but, but why you? We, we had a deal. Everything we planned is gone. And it was causing tremendous inner turmoil and a rift in our marriage. And one day I realized that it can't go on like this. I had to resolve one way or another how I'm going to proceed in my life. Either we're going to be together, my wife and I, and say, this is what we're doing, or I'm going to have to leave it all, hope someone else fills my shoes, and go back to the quiet life of sitting and learning, studying myself. But I can't do both. It's not going to work. So I said to my wife, honey, I'm going to take a day off tomorrow. You take a day off tomorrow. Let's just go out. We'll have a picnic somewhere. We're going to talk through life, and together we will make a decision. We'll do it together. And whatever we decide, we both go in completely. If we decide I'm leaving this and going back to the study all day, then that's what we're doing. If we decide that I'm doing this, we're doing it together. But we can't go on like this anymore. Hani agreed. Next day, we both took off from work. We're going to have a picnic. We went to this park sat down on the grass. It was right next to this natural pool of water. 
and the pool of water was being fed by a waterfall that was coming from a higher level in the park. So there's water coming down from a higher level, a waterfall into this beautiful stream that's near us. I'm facing the water. Hani has her back to the water. And I'm trying to think, okay, so what do we do now? This is a great idea that we have this picnic, but like, how do we begin this conversation? And where are we going with this? I can't find the right words to start the conversation. But suddenly, in the corner of my eye, I see something red tumbling down the falls. Was that a, a red bundle? Was it a red backpack that I just saw? Or my eye is deceiving me? And I immediately leaped to my feet. I jumped into the water, all my clothes on, and the bundle's first bob to the surface was miraculously within my grasp because it was a little girl, no more than a toddler. I grabbed her, and she was gasping and coughing and spitting out water, but thank God very much alive. I staggered out of the water, gripping this bundle. I was very shaken. The child was terrified, of course. Khani saw this happen like, so quickly. I just ran and jumped and coming out with a toddler in my hand. She put the blanket around the baby calm the baby. And we realized that this whole thing happened so fast that the child's family must be playing on the top part of the park and never even realized that the toddler is missing. So we began the trek to the upper terrace of the park, me in my sopping wet clothes, holding this red bundle. We get there and we immediately see that there's this large family spread out across a number of blankets, lots of kids, eating and talking and laughing and enjoying themselves. And clearly, still at this point, no one had an inkling that this little girl dressed in red wasn't amongst her siblings and cousins. As I approached them, I didn't have to say a word. Everyone stared at me in horror, transfixed, unable to say anything. The child's mother sees the scene and becomes hysterical. She suddenly grasps the enormity of what just took place. And she began shrieking. As words started rushing from her mouth, she pulls the child from my arms, holds her, kisses her, and begins to cry. And she starts thanking God, and thanking my wife, and thanking me. How can I ever thank you? How can I ever thank you? She kept on repeating over and over, how can I ever thank you? And suddenly she calls for someone from her family to go to her car and to fetch her purse. And I immediately said, stop, I'm not taking money for this. Don't, don't, don't bring your purse here. And she reaches for her purse and she takes out a single American dollar bill from her wallet and she wants to hand it to me. Lest anyone think that her intended reward for my act of heroism was one single dollar, which is about four shekel, she quickly explained that this was no ordinary dollar bill. She was giving me the most precious thing she owned a dollar bill given to her by the Lubavitcher Rebbe himself. And I repeated again that I didn't want any rewards for this. I simply did what anyone would do, what I was supposed to do. And she kept insisting that I take it. And finally, I said to her, listen, you're a Chabad family. To you, this dollar bill that was given to you by the Lubavitcher Rebbe is the most precious thing you have. I'm not a Chabadnik. I'm not even a Chassid. To me, the dollar is a dollar. It doesn't have that value. You should keep it. 
doesn't make sense for you to give that away. The one that sees the value in it should be the one to hold on to it and to keep it. At that point, she gave me this look that only a Jewish mother knows how to give. And she said to me, you take this dollar. You take this dollar from the Rebbe. And I promise you that it will bring you clarity, it will bring you peace, and it will bring you blessings, and it will bring strength into your life. And with that, she just put that dollar in my hand. Remember Rabbi Mishakovsky is telling this story at the Sheverbrachas party that he asked to be invited to? As he reaches this point, he reaches into his pocket and he pulls out this crisp dollar bill from his coat pocket and he shows it to the audience. And then he reads on the dollar bill that it says, from the holy Admor of Lubavitch, from the Lubavitcher Rebbe, dated Shavat 5751. Other than Shabbat, this dollar bill is with me all the time, he says to the audience. Now, you may think that I was the savior of that little girl, but that's not the full story. You see, what brought my wife and me to the park that day was a last-ditch attempt to find an answer to our dilemma. When that baby fell into that waterfall, it became clear, the answer was clear to us that my mission was to devote myself to saving lives. That was the answer. And the fact that the response to my action was to be given a dollar bill from the Lubavitcher Rebbe, who devoted his entire life, his entire leadership to bringing Jewish souls back to their roots, served to reinforce what my path must be. My calling was to save others, an unmistakable sign that tumbled from the heavens along with a dollar bill from Brooklyn was attesting to this. Here is your answer. And because of that life-altering moment, we packed our bags, we moved from Netanya, we moved to Jerusalem, and we opened up a yeshiva that year for boys who needed a different approach, who couldn't handle a full day in yeshiva who needed a few hours of this and a few hours of that. And today's groom, Dovi, he was from our first students. As for today's bride, I must say that it was so nice to see you at your wedding wearing a white dress instead of the red one you were wearing the first time we met. Everyone at the party sat stunned in silence. The bride's mother wiped her tears and said, And Kavod Harav, honored rabbi, it's nice to see you in dry clothes rather than the soaking ones you were wearing the first time we met. Enjoyed this story? Come again. Bring a friend. Stories to inspire.org.